All right, we're here with Drew Wilson of Plasso. And Drew, I'm going to let you go ahead and give the spiel about uh, kind of your background, your history, how you got to where you are right now, and a brief bit about Plasso. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I started off as, um, as a child, <laughs> like most people. And um, when I was a kid, I started doing art and crafts and stuff like that, paintings. I was into that. And then that kind of evolved into using Photoshop because my dad had to use it for work. Um, and so I was kind of exposed to that super early on, version two of Photoshop. Um, and over the, over the years, just kind of grew to love like coming up with concepts like design concepts in Photoshop. Made my first website in 1996, 20 years ago. Um, and yep, yeah, been building things on the web since then. I taught myself how to code. Uh, like back-end code in 2002 just out of necessity I didn't know anybody else who did and I wanted to see like the stuff I was making you know in HTML so he says I want to see that stuff like be real with the database and all that jazz even though I didn't know what a database was at the time um, so I taught myself that uh, and and then from there moved into like a bunch of other development stuff I never wanted to be a developer I always thought it'd be like super nerdy and boring but I uh, ended up that I really like really like doing it so um, it was great uh, being forced to do that kind of um, forcing myself to do that because then I could design and code my own stuff and, yep. and make my own products. Um, because from a young age, I've always wanted to have my own business or do my own thing, that kind of, that kind of thing. So it worked out good, uh, in that sense, um, learning how to code, learning how to design. Um, and then spent, uh, I guess my entire career building different, uh, little apps, products, services, that kind of thing. Um, and then most recently, uh, Plasso, uh, but a boom, uh, and, uh, have, uh, recently in the last year, uh, gone full time on Plasso in the sense of, um, not working on anything else and raise money and, and, uh, built a team around it. And so taking it to the next level. Right on. Okay. So that is to me, one of the most interesting things with you is you've done so many different products and projects and not just apps or just you know, I mean, some of it's installed apps for the Mac, some of it, you know, just a little bit of everything. Um, how did you juggle all of that? And then how did you decide? And at what point did you know, okay, I'm going to just completely focus on Plasso. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to settle into this and, and really swing for the fences. Yeah. So, uh, it's, I kind of had a threshold in my mind, not like any specific number or anything like that. But um, rewinding the clock back a bit, in 2010, I released um, a set of icons called Pictos. And by doing that, um, it, I had no idea it would, but it, it made me a lot of money. And it, it gave me enough money to work on whatever I wanted to work on without having to do client work, which is what I had always done before then. Um, and I knew that uh, the money that Pictos was making wouldn't last because there's only so many designers buying icons, that kind of thing. Uh, and so I wanted to find something that had its own legs and like would work on its own without me trying to force it, you know, like I come up with an idea that's cool. And I, you know, if I wasn't getting much traction, I could spend all my time and try to force it and try to like get a bunch of traction. Um, or I could just move on to something else, uh, and, and wait till I get something that's like got its own momentum. And so that's what I was trying to do. Um, there are definitely other ways about going about building a business. Uh, but that's just the way, what I wanted to do. Um, and so I ended up finding that with Plasso. Uh, it had its own legs, uh, and it, it was doing well on its own. Um, and 
it was making uh, enough money for myself and then some. So I was like, okay, this is this is working out better than all the bajillion of other things I've tried. Uh, so this thing is doing something different, and I want to take it to the next level because of the fact that it was doing well on its own. So looking back, do you think you would have come around to creating Plasso had you not gone through everything else you created? And because in a way you were building things, a lot of your products served your own needs to sell your own stuff. Um, and it seems from the outside, at least like Plasso was more of a product of your diversity of projects rather than like its own little thing that just sprung up out of nowhere. Yeah. So Plasso kind of has uh, a longer history than just the brand Plasso. Um, it started off as Quixly. Uh, well, my venture in e-commerce started off uh, as a product called Quixly, which was you could sell your digital, digital goods uh, super easily using PayPal or Google Wallet, and that was launched in 2009. Uh, and that was before Stripe was around. Um, and I built that to sell my icons and also to try to make money off the platform. But the business model wasn't good there. Uh, it was old school days. I was, I was charging based on like, how much storage you use and all that kind of jazz, yeah. uh, which is like so far and away now. Nobody does that. Uh, not even Amazon. But um, and then and then I and then when Stripe came out, I wanted to make a human interface for Stripe, uh, just something that so that way anybody could use Stripe because it was a developer tool only. Uh, and so I made another app that had a lot of the same functionality as Quixly, but was kind of focused on around general payments, and that was called Spacebox. Uh, but again. Uh, I didn't get the business model right there, so uh, it, that platform didn't make uh, didn't make me money either. And so I came up with a new business model, and uh, and then relaunched, recoded the whole thing, and rebranded it as Plasso. Um, and with that new business model, things started working out, and uh, it started making money. So it's Plasso itself is kind of. Um, a long time coming, I guess. I mean, I haven't been working on Plasso the brand or the specific feature set uh, for all that long, but in the realm of e-commerce and selling things online, I've been working on it uh, for years. Um, and and like you said, for me, it works out great because I can sell my own stuff. And so if the platform itself doesn't do well, but yet my other things that I'm selling do well, then I, I win. So yeah, Absolutely. And, and so that's one of the things that I think so many people miss out on, right? Like somebody will hear about Plasso and be like, wow, that's so cool. He created Plasso. Like little did they see all of the iteration and other projects you did in the meantime that led you to Plasso, right? It's the whole 10 year overnight success type of thing. Um, so to me, that's just definitely one of the most interesting things because everybody's got all their side projects and then they've got to make that decision. Like, well, I don't know, what do I focus on? What should I do? But a lot of times it's having multiple side projects that kind of they cross pollinate and give you those ideas to create something bigger. Totally. Um, so you've done all that. And now with Plasso, you've raised money. So talk about, I guess, kind of that process and how it's changed things now that you're kind of in a different place with Plasso. Yeah. So like the major difference after raising money is that there are eight of us now. Um, up until this point, every line of code, every pixel, every support email is just me. Um, and now there is a team. Uh, so that changes things 
a lot from a product perspective, from customer perspective, from from everything, which is great. Um, so that's like the, the biggest difference. Another difference um, is uh, I have like I have a uh, what's called a runway where I have money in the bank that's just waiting to be used uh, versus um, uh, it being where when you're like bootstrapping until you get to the point where you got tons of money in the bank. It's always like uh, month to month you're trying to figure out how can I, you know, budget on the super slim amount of money I'm making in order to grow it, that kind of thing. Whereas now I have money that I can use to, for, for well, what I'm mostly using for is to hire people, right? And I couldn't do that if I was bootstrapping, which is why I went to raise money because I bootstrapped all my career um, and now I, I wanted to do something differently. I wanted to raise money because in our industry, uh, that's available to us. And if you're doing something cool, um, you can get super good terms uh, as when it comes to raising money. And so for me, it was like a no-brainer. Like, I'm going to go raise money. I'm going to build a team around it I'm gonna, and go way faster than I could ever go uh, by myself. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a super different, super different kind of company than something that's being bootstrapped. Now, I didn't go raise money from any VCs or anything like that. It's all angel money. So it is, uh, there is a pretty big difference there from companies that have raised money from VCs where they raise like a huge amount of money um, uh, versus what I, what I did. So, yeah. So you, you may not have a frame of reference to kind of compare, but would, to what degree would you say the fact that you bootstrapped ahead of time gave you some leverage in raising money to where you could get better terms and put yourself in a better position than if you were just coming in with really hardly any traction or anything like that and just a solid idea? Well, I, th I think if you were to put the, um, if you were to, if you were to put that, uh, on a scale of 0% to 100%, it made a hundred percent difference, uh, <laughs> by having bootstraps, um, for a variety of different reasons. So for on, on my perspective, on me personally, as the CEO founder, all that jazz, it makes a world difference. Um, a thousand percent difference because of the fact that I've bootstrapped for so many years and tried so many different ideas and failed and like lost all my savings many times over, sold all my furniture, my house multiple times. Uh, I know what it's like to lose money and to have money and how to hold on to money, that kind of thing. So it, it's a more, um, serious endeavor for me, I guess, when I'm taking money, like I feel like I'm taking someone's money. I don't feel like this is owed to me or, or I have no risk, right? Like I am really big on the entrepreneur taking all the risks themselves first. Yep. And then if something's going good, then yeah, see if somebody else wants to, you know, come in and take a risk with you and, and give you some money. But if you don't have that fire under you, like, uh, I feel like you'll, you'll probably be irresponsible with, with your money. Um, so that's on like my side. Uh, and then I'm suddenly forgetting what the original question was. Just or the, well, it's just how much easier it was having, having oh, yeah. bootstrapped already and having some leverage going into raising money. Yeah, yeah. So going into it, having um, the fact that I was making money uh, made it so that I could raise money uh, because it's a SaaS product. Um, when I started raising money in February, there's like a bunch of articles coming out about how the VC climate has totally changed. And now it's like impossible to get money, raise money now or, or forever hold your piece, that kind of crap. Um, and I was like, great, now that I'm going to raise money, this starts, this starts happening. Uh, but no, for sure, 100%, I don't think I would have been able to raise any money um, unless I was making money. 
And there's like kind of two, I, from my perspective, this is how it is. If you're gonna, if you're gonna raise money for a company that's like a B2B or SaaS or something like that, um, you have to be making money if you want someone else to give you money because uh, that's the only time you're gonna get data on if this is gonna work because you're working with a smaller customer base than say a Snapchat or some consumer app product. Then you have a huge customer base, a potential customer base, and so, um, in those cases, most people come in and raise money on an idea. Like, hey, I got this idea for this thing. We have like this little minimum viable product that's got like just our friends on it. You know, we haven't like obviously launched an app store, nor are we going to until we get your money and then build the thing for reals. Like, that's how most of those deals go. Um, so, in those cases, you don't necessarily need to be making money. But if you're going to be doing like a like a SaaS or like a B two B or something like that, um, you definitely got to have some traction. Yeah, you have to have some traction. And yeah. in the case of SaaS, traction means sales and revenue. Yeah. So looking back, do you feel like you raised money about the right time, a little late, a little early? Uh, I mean, I guess I think looking at like the charts and stuff, uh, had I raised like the year prior, it would have been better. But yeah. honestly, like just the way that stuff was for me personally, I think I raised the, at the right time. Yeah, right on. So, without getting too on a on a off on a tangent too much, there's always interesting stories once people get the .com for their domain, mm. and I have a feeling there probably is. Is that true? Is that can you kind of give that a quick overview of how that went down um, and share any interesting details behind that for anybody else who's kind of getting started and feel like maybe they need the .com? And I think a lot of people, it's more common now to see companies launch without the .com and then get it once they've got a little bit of money going. It's because so, they're all gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of teams too, they don't even worry about it at that point. They think they need a yeah. .com and then you get going and you're like, whatever, we don't need it. And just keep yep. keep shipping and keep doing good work. It doesn't matter. But uh, it's always interesting to hear the stories about how to get it. And I think a lot of people are also intimidated sometimes like, oh, I'm afraid to even ask because it's probably going to be, you know, they're going to ask for $200,000 or something absurd. Yep. So how did that go yeah. down for you? In my case, it was more than just the dot-com. It was actual whole brand. But like when I launched Quixly, I got the dot-com because it was long ago enough that you could, yeah. you could find comps. But these days you can't. So I had Spacebox and it was Spacebox.io. And then I ended up getting Spacebox.co from the guy who owned it by trading a domain to him. He was another developer. So we traded domains because he wasn't using it. Um, and then I, and then I was spacebox.co and I couldn't get .com and I was like, ah, I'm not gonna have enough money for .coms, it's super expensive. And so when I wanted to rebrand, I wanted to rebrand with a dictionary name, right? And so I came up with the idea of calling it Plastic. And I was like, sweet, I'm gonna have a company called Plastic. And it looked just like that except it ended in IC. Uh, and, and all I did is I tweet about like, hey, I'm super stoked. I just got the domain plastic.io or whatever I ended up getting. Yes, .io um, coming soon or something like that. Uh, and from that tweet, like a week later, I got uh, a little envelope in the mail, open it up, and it's some of the companies saying like, hey, cease and desist, give us all your property, all this other crap. And I'm like, wait, what, from one tweet? How is this happening? And then uh, and, uh, I had done like trademark searches on plastic and there was nobody in the tech space using plastic ending in a, in a C uh, or ending in a K 
I checked a couple other variations, but you can't really do like searches with the patent patent yeah. search site. But this company, they ended in a queue. And I never thought to end plastic in a queue. Uh, so yes, yeah, so they so I ended up tweeting the CEO of the company. And he's like, hey, sorry. He's like, my lawyers are crazy. I always tell them not to do stuff, but they do. Uh, he's like, but he's like, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Just don't use the name. I'm like, okay, fine. Frick. Uh, Everything's fine. Just don't use the name. <laughs> yeah, just don't use the name. Well, because they were saying they wanted like the domain for me and yeah. all this kind of thing. Um, so I still have plastic.io. Uh, but yeah, I changed the name. But I really liked what I did with the brand, especially the little A thing. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to change that. And so, because I had spent a bunch of time on it and already like designed the site and everything. Um, and so I, I went finding or looking for domains that were similar. And so I was like, what can I end this in that has like everything available? And so Plasso uh, had .com, .org, .net, nothing was taken. Only the .com was taken and it was past the expiration. It was past like the renewal time. It was about to hit on the public market again that next month. I was like, whoa, this is like perfect timing. That's so like, sweet. Bought everything and I didn't tell anybody that I was going to, you know, what the new name was going to be because I didn't want anything to happen. And then I ordered three different back ordering services for Plaza.com. And then on the day that it was supposed to drop, someone else somehow snagged it. Oh, no. And my back ordering stuff worked. I was like, crap. So I didn't get .com. So I launched as .co. And then when I saved up my pennies, um, I bought .com from the domain shark. It was just some random domain shark that had bought dot, .com. Wow. Uh, and so I bought it from them. I think it was like 4600 bucks or something like that. That's not uh, too bad. I bought, it, I bought it like just over a year ago, I think. Maybe it was exactly a year ago from this month or maybe it was last month a year ago, something like that. Right on. Well, that's, yep. no, that's actually probably a pretty good deal, I think, for a, for a nice short yeah. .com. Yeah. And totally, and, and the reason I wanted to switch, because I'm totally fine with using other domains, it's just uh, because I want to take Plasso like to the next, 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 next level mm -hmm. and have it like the place where you go online to start a business. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do a dot com just because I feel like the normal people yeah. are more normal. <laughs> I consider Absolutely. Them. So. Absolutely. So would you say now that you've raised money, uh, you're kind of taking it to the next level. Has it affected how you juggle work and family and all that? Is it pretty much the same? You're still in control. Do you feel more pressure, less pressure, work more or less? How's, how's that changed or evolved? Yeah, so before I was running uh, multiple projects at the same time. And I would say most of my, most all of my career, I've always kind of worked like two shifts. So I work in the day and then I work in the night. Um, and that kind of changed a lot after we had like our second uh, kid. Um, and I stopped working like the night shifts as much. Um, but, you know, I, I always still, you know, worked as much as I possibly could trying to get something else to stick. And then when I found with Plasso, it, that happened. And, and last year was a little different for me because last year we um, sold, like, sold everything. We moved up to Washington State for six months because um, our family's from up there. And then we decided we didn't want to, we were just going to be there for a year and come back down to Carlsbad. Uh, but we decided we didn't want to do that anymore. So after six months, we bailed and we um, got an RV and we RV'd the country for a year. And so it's very different. 
I was only able to turn on, on my computer like 15 times the whole trip because, you know, traveling, I didn't realize, I thought I was going to have all this time. Like, I'm going to get rid of yeah. all my stuff. I just could just focus on Plaza. And um, no, man, it's like traveling is like a full-time job in itself. Then traveling with three little kids, that's super hard um, as far as like, you know, having time to do any kind of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyhow, uh, yeah, last year, last year was pretty different, but it kind of reset me um, in the sense of like, I had to go to bed early, right? So mm-hmm. when we when we came back to normal life and we actually moved to Sausalito in San Francisco so I could raise money, um, I, I, it was like impossible for me to stay up late and work. I was like always just, you know, my body was used to not doing that. So it was hard. But then after raising money and moving back down here to Carlsbad, I kind of got back into the swing of things. Um, and so now I'll often uh, stay up and do my second shift just because out of necessity, like there's so much stuff to do. Uh, especially when you bring on a team of people. So now that there's uh, seven other people besides me, um, it's more than just me managing my own work. I have to always be thinking ahead about what each person can be doing and then writing off uh, different features and like scoping them out, like what I want people to work on, that kind of stuff. So there's just like a ton a ton more to do. Um, but what's great about it is like you write off these documents about what you want people to do and then all that stuff happens without you having to do it. So it's pretty cool. Was that a really quick change for you or did you kind of slowly ramp up the hiring? Because being somebody who's on your own and well, not totally on your own, but more or less on your own, working at your own pace on your own things versus now having to help keep everybody else busy. Uh, did that change? Was that kind of overwhelming at first or was that an easy enough transition? No, I mean, yeah, it wasn't overwhelming at all. Like uh, I had brought on three people before I even raised money. I was like, hey, I'm going to go raise money. Um, I'll give you equity for now. And then once we raise money, you'll start getting paid. Um, And all the people that I've hired, uh, they all kind of knew me. So um, they all believed that I could do it, that kind of thing. So uh, after I raised money, then I brought on a couple more people. Um, But, I mean, it all happened in 2016. Like early 2016, I brought on three people. A few months later, brought on a few more. And then a few months later, brought on a few more. So um, it all happened pretty quickly. I think by, I think by like May, everybody who was on the team was already hired. So uh, May or June. So like, yeah, June, beginning of June. So within a few months, uh, everyone was hired. Right on. Okay. So looking back at the last year, I guess this could be even last couple of years before raising money, what's kind of been, and it may not even be for Plasso, but I'm, I'm guessing it probably would be, what's been the, the, toughest part the either most stressful or most difficult or just kind of lowest point through this process of getting to where you are now and kind of how'd you bounce out of it pull out of it uh and did you say not specific to plasso or specific to uh, it doesn't have to be specific to plasso just kind of you know with the, the whole bootstrapping a business managing it like we all kind of hit those points and then when you hit it and you don't realize how normal it is to go through those ruts it's really really difficult but i think once you realize it's normal. You just kind of have to fight through it that it really helps uh, people kind of see like, oh, wow, this is totally normal. I just need to, it's going to be a crummy week, but I'll fight through it. Everything will be great on the other side type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've had lots of valleys and, um, and I think every time if you're, if you're progressing and if you're doing better and better over time, I think your valleys get deeper and deeper every time because you have more to lose Mm -hmm. every time. Um, so as you build up more, you got more to lose every time you, you, you fall. Uh, 
so I mean, I get used to the fact that, yeah, I'm going to have burnouts. Like I know, like when I'm experiencing burnout, I'm like, I know this is a burnout. It's only going to be temporary. But every time I have one, it's worse than the time before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I recently went through that. Even after raising my class, I recently went through that. And it was more like uh, it's every time you put yourself out there, uh, especially publicly, um, suddenly there's like a whole new weight on your shoulders to like feel like you have to be successful, you know? Like, oh my gosh, like Drew just raised money or something like that. It's like, oh man, he's blowing up. Everything's going great for him. <laughs> so, which I mean it is, but at the same time, it's like a lot of pressure yeah. because most people who raise money just fall flat on their face. And like, I'm no different. So um, it's personally a lot of pressure for me because I'm putting myself up I have a high expectation for myself, probably more than anybody else. Uh, and so for me to like be successful and figure out the best use of money and all that kind of stuff um, is it's, you know, it's a lot of pressure and it can, it can force you down to a valley, that kind of thing. Um, thankfully right now I'm not experiencing one, uh, which is good because I always suck. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it never stops. I mean, probably the worst I had it was I spent two years in a code cave working on my first uh, piece of software that I was going to sell. You can go to fireref.com to check it out. It's all the sites still up there and everything. Um, it was a client-side CMS, all in JavaScript. You could even access the database in CSS, yada, yada. But it was way too far in the future. No one really got it, uh, what it was, uh, which sucked because I spent a lot of years, all my money, I was literally selling my furniture on Craigslist. I had a side business doing wedding photography, sold off all my camera gear. Um, and we were expecting our first kid. Uh, and, and then we were, we were going to have to foreclose on our house. We ended up short selling it. So I was just like the worst. And then, and then as I was going through that, I was like, I launched, I launched fires and it fell flat on its face. And I was like, this is terrible. Um, I remember I was even expecting to be so successful that I went around looking at houses like, yeah, I can probably buy that thing once this thing comes out. <laughs> it's like a, I look back and I was like an infant child or something. Yeah. But <laughs> so, then, so then it launches false flat on its face. All right, all right I got to launch something quick, something else. And so that's when I came up with the idea with Quixly. And I've been working on icons on the side. I was like, I'll use and sell these icons. I have no idea what to sell them for. There was only Glyphish, which was free icons, and there was Helveticons, which was 249 bucks for like 80 icons or something. Um, and so I didn't know what to sell them at. And I, ha- I was lucky. At that point, I had no idea what I was getting into. But there was literally nobody else selling icons at that time. And nowadays, like people sell them so much, it was just a race to the bottom, and now you can yeah. get like the best icon for free. But when I launched it, it was totally different. There was nobody else selling icons. And so overnight, I'm not even kidding, like fall asleep, wake up to a bajillion tweets that I never even, all I did was say, hey, I launched something. And at the time, I didn't have a ton of followers. And it's like everyone, I mean, I, I still have not experienced that to this day. It's like everyone just like tweeting about it. Um, and I just like overnight, just like my bank account filled up. And then it just kept kept that way. And so then I, was, <laughs> I went from short selling my house to then a totally different lifestyle like overnight um, just because of that one thing. And so I got, you know, brought out of the valley 
you never know when it's going to come or how it's going to come. But I mean, if you obviously if you keep working hard and not just working hard, I even tell my son who's only six at the time, it's like, you can't just work hard because people who work hard, they don't always get what they want. You have to work smart, you know? Um, in that case, I was not working smart. I was just lucky. Right. But I feel like with Plasso, I was working smart because this is not, Plasso is not like the result of, of luck. Plasso is a result of me trying this multiple times over and trying to tweak things slightly. So I feel, in that sense, I feel a little more proud about Plasso than I do about uh, Pictones. But the long-winded answer to your question. No, no, that's good. I think it's, I mean, in hindsight, I'm guessing, looking back, you would probably say that you spent a little too much time heads down coding versus oh, trying to put it out there and see if anybody wanted it or was ready for it or whatever. Uh, I mean, is it really just that simple? You would have said, hey, I'm going to time box myself to six months and whatever I've got at six months, I'm going to find a way to launch it. Yeah. And I mean, that wouldn't have worked for me back then um, because what I did back then, I was like, all right, it's got to do everything. Yeah. And then I'd work on a little this, little that, little this, little that until it has everything. Um, then years later, I came out this book with my buddy Josh Long called Execute, talking about just getting it out there super quick. And in there, I kind of talk about how you probably should do it, whereas you should give yourself uh, a small goal, not like a big goal, but like figure out what the core difference is or the core like marketing factor of your idea is. And just like build something small around that. And then expand, expand, expand after you've launched something small around that. Because if you, as long as you launch with your like core idea intact, if people are like, oh, it's this, uh, then you can always expand upon it. And people always remember, oh, it's this, right? Yeah. Even though it's a bunch of other stuff. So more than just like giving yourself a time limit, I think that would just be setting yourself up for feeling like you've failed because you'll still have all these grand ideas and you wouldn't be able to do them in six months. Like set yourself up with like a super small feature set. Um, and launch with that. Uh, that's what I would have done. Uh, that's and that's what. Well, that's how Plasso started, right? Most did since then. Oh, sorry. What? Plasso was a lot more focused when it first launched, right? Or Spacebox, I yep. suppose, really. Yeah, so, yeah. Spacebox was super simple. It was just like a one, like a one page deal. You sign up mm -hmm. and you connect your Stripe account, and then there's a page for someone to pay you. Mm -hmm. Like it's right now in Plasso, it's our pay me product. Like yeah. you just. Put in plasma.com slash your email address and someone just go there and pay you money. So that uh, that was what Spacebox was when it first launched um, years and years ago. Indeed. <clears throat> Trying to decide which of these would be the... So for you, for finding your first customers was a lot more. You've had somewhat of an audience and a following. So for you, a lot of it is finding those first customers, spreading the word is coming from that audience, right? Yes. But that yeah. was, was that a conscious effort to kind of develop an audience and reach people and create things that were of interest to a certain audience? Or did it just kind of happen? And then you said, hey, well, all my everything I'm building anyways is kind of helping these people. So did, was it a plan or was it or not necessarily a plan, but was it intentional or just a happy side effect? Uh, I was a happy side effect. I mean, I just joined Twitter like everybody else and was just yeah. talking with people who are in the same industry as me, that kind of thing. Um, and it turns out I like building things for myself, like things that I like using. Yep. So what I would build would be the same kind of things that other people like me would want. Um, so those are who followed me. And so it just kind of, just kind of worked out that way. Right on. So this may be a little too uh, open-ended. If you could go all the way back 
to when you first started launching businesses and you could do one thing differently, whether that's skipping a certain, well, no, we're not going to let, we're not going to let you cop out that easy. <laughs> I would skip this business. Um, what, what would you do differently? What would you go back and tell yourself 10, 15 years ago to help avoid some pain? What's the one thing? I mean, I could go back in time and give myself a business idea, <laughs> but well, just changing, no, just yeah. changing kind of how you handled things. Uh, I think we all could have gone back and, and bought the right. Yeah, you know, I, think, I think if I could, I think if I could, it would be the same thing we just touched on, like for reals. I think it would just be uh, to focus on a, a very small aspect and focus on the core of what my idea is and launch that. Because what's great about that, other than you can launch soon, you can also find out if it's going to be successful soon or not without spending a bunch of money on it. And then you can also market it much easier because you're marketing one simple idea and you're not marketing a whole slew of things. Um, so it's easier to find that. So it's just all around easier. If Not if you launch with an MVP, a minimum viable product that's like, it's you know broken in some spots or whatever, or it tries to do everything, but it's like in a really slim way. Not MVP at all, uh, but if you launch with like just a very small feature set built around that core idea, um, that's what I would go back and tell myself because I literally would have added uh, just from fire to dialogues alone, which each were two-year builds before I launched them. Um, I would add you know four years. Of extra stuff I could have made. <laughs> so there was, I, I wish I knew who I heard this from or where I heard it, but somewhere somebody replaced the viable in MVP with useful, right? Like what's the minimum useful product? What can you create that's going to give somebody value and help them and start there with that core? And I think the other side effect of what you're talking about is as developers or product people, we don't necessarily think about the marketing and the messaging and how do we explain this to somebody, but for every feature you add, you're adding support, you're adding marketing effort and overhead because you have to be able to explain it to people and make them understand what the value is. And a lot of features don't have obvious immediate value. So uh, you're complicating things by adding more burden for marketing as well. So, yep. all right, well, so that's the quick version. I like to keep them pretty, pretty dense. Um, Wait. Is there uh, any kind of parting words of advice uh, sentence of wisdom you want to share? I guess I would say to everyone who's doing bootstrapping, um, there's kind of like a purist mentality where like I bootstrapped and therefore I deserve cake or something. <laughs> no. uh, like a business is a business. And like I've kind of, uh, since, since fired, I mentally decided, okay, consciously decided I'm not going to treat my products like my babies, right? Um, because of the fact that, like, my end goal for myself is not to have X company be the thing that I'm doing forever, right? I have a lot of different things I want to do. And there's one thing missing in order to do all that stuff, and that's money. You need a bunch of money to, like, do all these different things I want to do or that you want to do or whatever, right? Um and however I get there is however I get there. And so I shouldn't treat my products like my babies. And I should not treat 
the 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 path to success for this specific t- moment in time as like this pure this kind of like my baby kind of thing right yeah. like r- raising money is fantastic um but you just have to go about it the right way you have to make sure that it's going to help you and if you're irresponsible with money or you've never taken on risk yourself it's probably not going to help you yeah uh but if you've been through the fire yourself, like don't shy away from it. It's like in our industry, it's like the most common thing in the world for someone to raise money. It's so accessible uh, that you should definitely uh, consider doing it if you're if you're in that spot and if you're able to. Um, if for nothing less than just the personal uh, uh, experience and uh, uh, gain an insight and knowledge that you'll get just from going through the process. I learned so much by going through that process mm-hmm. that I never even thought existed before. Um, and yeah, I, I would just say like, don't treat things like your babies at all. Uh, because you know, once you've made, say you've gotten super successful, with this company you're working on, what are you going to do next? Right? Yeah. Obviously it's not your baby anymore if you move on. So, uh, yeah, there's I a, I literally, I haven't written it yet, but there's a, new chapter in the book update that I tentatively literally have titled it's a business, not a baby. Yeah. And I know from Sifter, like I really just was so emotionally tied to it. And if it wasn't for going through my medical issues, I probably never would have let myself get detached from it because I was so focused on that stuff that it enabled me to kind of be like, all right, how does this fit into my life really at this point? And, uh, it's hard to do in the moment, right? It's easy to say, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's a business. It's an asset. You know, you kind of have to, you know, you don't want to treat it as just a heartless asset, but at the same time, you still kind of have to have a bigger picture view of it uh, because it's not going to be a sustainable business if you treat it like a baby and baby it. Yep. So. And two, like if you go and raise money, right, you're going to be around people uh, hopefully you raise money from the right people who have, who have been in your shoes multiple times over. And not only that have actually helped other people in your shoes multiple times over. Yeah. So you've got people now on your team, uh, you know, your investors that are super smart and that will be able to help you through things that you wouldn't be able to do on your own. Um, like running a big company mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with, uh, growing slow, like bootstrapping. That's totally fine. There's also nothing wrong with, exploding and growing fast, right? Um, Either way, uh, you have no idea what the outcome will be. (laughs) So I think uh, more often than not, it's not the raising money that was the the downfall of a lot of these businesses. It was that the businesses weren't businesses to begin with and somehow raised money because it was too easy to come by. Um, But that's a whole other story. So we won't go off on a tangent. I agree. I agree. Right on. Well, this cool. has been this has been great. I think it's uh, especially adding the uh, money raising perspective to all of this because I'm obviously a bootstrap background here. Um, I really appreciate it, and thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course.